Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 328 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Thrilled that you are here with me today as we are talking to Kelly Sokol, and this was an absolute treat. We're going to talk about how to uncover what's hidden in your writing and the way that she used lists, that's a very hard word to say, lists to do this. And we're going to chat about things like getting up early, if that's your jam and if it's not. Um, So please stick around for that. What has been going on around here? Well, I finished my Patreon essay for the month and sent it out and I was honest in it. I was honest. I wrote about traveling to the States. And I wrote it well, and I wrote it funny, and I wrote it light. And then I realized I didn't feel light about it at all. I loved being in the States. I loved seeing my family and friends. And I wanted to tell the whole truth in that Patreon essay. So I rewrote it. And I really talked about the stressors that I felt and the anxiety. And it turned into such a better essay. So I really enjoyed doing that. Also, I realized as I was writing it, that I might be coming close to the end of this memoir, which has been tentatively titled The New New Zealanders, which is the book I've been writing since before we decided to move to New Zealand. No, that's not true. I've been writing it since we decided to move to New Zealand more than a year and a half ago, two years ago now. And all the way up to now where we went to the States and then we came home. And that might be close to an ending for this book. So there is yet another book that is up in the air circling the the runway of the airport where all these books I have up there wanting to land. So right now, let's run through them. We've got the memoir, which is now called The Fix, which is still on my agent's desk. And we had a nice conversation about that. Going to do some edits for her and um, still may self-publish that. Who knows? But that's after Seven Miracles, which is the novel that I am currently in revision for. Should hope I'm hoping to get that to her next week or the week after that. And we have 90 Days to Done, which is the book on writing a book in 90 days that I have halfway done, more than halfway done. And then there's certainly more, a lot more I want to say. And the new New Zealanders, which is maybe, maybe a first draft is almost done. There is, so that's four books right now. Plus there are a couple more banging at the door. I'm trying not to listen as I move forward, but I have, I'm, I'm kind of struggling a little bit because I am trying to focus. I'm trying to focus. And what I would like to do and perhaps this is the way you feel too. I, I what I would like to do is to pick pick a book and finish it, oh, you know, by Thursday, maybe by Tuesday. And I can't do that. I have to work on things and it takes a while and there is no perfection and there is no place for perfectionism. And we just do the work and keep showing up. And it is hard, y'all. It is hard. If you are feeling like it's taking you a long time. If you're feeling like it's slow, that's because sometimes it is. And all it requires, and I'm telling myself this as well as you, uh, probably more than I'm telling you, all it requires is just the commitment to keep showing up, to keep, keep doing this, keep doing what you're doing. If you haven't been writing, 
then start doing some writing. Are you doing NaNoWriMo? Many of you might be. I am not right now because I'm doing that revision for Seven Miracles for my agent. But if you are, that's amazing. Congratulations. Have fun with it. Remember, you're writing a crappy, scrappy first draft, not a perfect first draft because perfection is impossible. Uh, So I had to finish that Patreon essay and now I'm back into Seven Miracles and I will just show up for Seven Miracles every day until that revision is done and off my desk. And then I will do the next right thing. And that is what we do. And I give myself gold stars. I really, really do. Shiny gold stars. The Mrs. Grossman's mini gold stickers, gold star stickers are amazing. And sometimes I really have to rely on those every week as I am planning things and getting things done because I need, I, <laughs> I love stickers. I love stars. I love that kind of motivation. Um, in my Clifton strengths, I have achiever as number three. So I really like to achieve things. And when I have four books up in the air, none of them really close to coming in for a landing or none of them as close as I would like that to be, I get frustrated. So I resort to my bullet journal and mini stickers. And perhaps some of you do the same. If you do, I would love to hear about it. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of other things. I have that live webinar coming up on, when is it? Um, I think it is on November 17th. Yes, it is at noon Pacific. So that'll be 3 p.m. Eastern. And that is traditional versus self-publishing. Which do you want to go toward? We're going to be talking about all things traditional publishing, what you need to know, what you need to understand about traditional publishing if you choose to go that direction, what you need to know and understand about self-publishing if you choose to go in that direction. And there's going to be time for your questions, your specific questions. So it's an hour long. You can go to rachelheron.com slash publish to grab that. And I just also wanted to thank um, some new patrons because I, patrons, I have not done that in a while. And I would like to thank Carmen Butner. Thank you, Carmen, so much. And Grace Obey-Hawker, beautiful name. Thank you very much. Mark Graham. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, let's see coming in here. Oh, Shalane. Shalane, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to all patrons past and present, you really, really do afford me the time to sit here and talk to you and think about these things and do these interviews like the one with Kelly that is coming up. This is one of the joys of my life that I get to do this. And then I get to talk to you about writing. And I get to tell you honestly what my struggles are and what I am dealing with. So if you would like to join my group of patrons, you could do that for a dollar a month. I just noticed that there are was it 60, 60 or 70 essays over there now? So full books, books of things to read, all creative nonfiction, all memoir. Uh, I was going to say most memoir over there. And that's at patreon.com slash Rachel. So you can always do that. What else has been going on around here? I think that is about it. There's a whisper of a sliver of a whispered idea that is mostly smoke at this point, maybe even just fog. Maybe we might try to get in the housing market in Wellington, but uh, I just had a panic attack just even saying that out loud. So yeah, I'm trying not to think about that. We'll pretend I didn't say that. I think that might add a chapter or two to the book too. If that happens, the Wellington housing market is kind of like the San Francisco housing market. And also uh, 
most of my money is made in royalties and teaching monies. They're all in the United States still. So banks aren't going to like that. So we're not really counting on anything. And we live in the best house in the world, the best rental house in the, be- in the best city in the world with the most incredible view of the harbor. Why would I want to go anywhere? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because we want a dog <laughs> and a cat. <laughs> Would you take on a mortgage to get a dog and a cat? Yes. Yes, we would. So that's um, that's what we're thinking about. That's what was making me lose sleep earlier this week. So instead of losing sleep, I'm just going to get back into writing. I'm going to go hang out in Rachel Says Write in about an hour, and I am going to revise Seven Miracles because even when our brains are occupied with big thoughts and small thoughts and big anxieties and small joys and enormous happinesses, we still get to sit down and do some crappy writing. And sometimes it's good writing and oftentimes it's it's painful and we do it anyway. We None of us have to be perfect. None of us are getting this right. We're just getting it done. And in the process of getting our own work done, we then are able to change other people's lives with our words. And that is what your job is as a writer. So I am so glad that you are here and listening. Thank you so much. Let's jump into the interview. Let me give you a little bit of a bio for Kelly. Kelly Sokol is the author of Breach and the Unprotected, which was featured on NPR and named one of Book Riot's 100 must-read books of pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. She is a Pushcart Prize-nominated author and MFA creative writing graduate. Her work has appeared in Alpinist, Ultra Running Magazine, The Manifest Station, which is a hilarious title, uh, Connotation Press, and more. She teaches creative writing at the Muse Writer Center. When she is not reading, writing, or parenting, Kelly dreams in color of the mountains. She can often be found running in the backcountry. She resides in Virginia with her family. And here we go. Please enjoy the interview, my friends. Hey, would you like to come write with me, with my writing community? At Rachel Says Write, we write together twice a week, every Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 7 Pacific Time, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. We say hi and chat the tiniest little bit, and then together we write. It's truly magical the amount of words we get done together. You want to check it out with a week's free trial to see how it might work for you? Just go to rachelheron.com. Rachel Says Write to join us. Well, I'm so pleased to welcome you to the show. Hello. I would love you to share your name and your pronouns with us, please. Absolutely. My name is Kelly Sokol and my pronouns are she, her. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about um, your latest book and all of the writing you do. And as you know, this is a show about process. And I don't know if you're a junkie like I am about process, but I would love, (laughs) why is it that most writers are? Maybe because it's hard and we're all looking for help, but what does your writing process look like? Why don't you bring us into your world? Sure. Um, I feel like every few years, my writing process changes and I've yes. learned that that is okay um, and to just roll with it. But um, for the last several years, I have very much, I'm a five day a week writer. Um, I'm on Monday through Friday. Uh, the weekends are kind of reserved for my kids are athletes. I'm an athlete and just some recharged family time. And I'm one of those O-Dark 30. Um, I've never been a night owl, but I love a quiet house and When I'm, the first thing I do in the morning is my whatever new creative work um, I have going and it's just me and my dog and a cup of coffee. And I I love that place straight from sleep. I imagine it's probably close to, you know, when you're up into the wee hours, you know, that 
I feel like that kind of dreaming awake scrim becomes, you know, a little bit more vulnerable and, and, um, kind of penetrative, I think. And mm-hmm. so that I just kind of let it fly first thing in the morning. And then, you know, during the school year and a lot of the more rambunctious summer days, I pause for about an hour to do the, the school bus craziness or, you know, whatever is, is necessary that day. And then I switch gears and I will revise because I, and I have to revise something different. I just cannot create and revise the same piece. Otherwise, you know, you'll have that beautiful paragraph. <laughs> it's so honed and so gorgeous, but that, but that's all. Yeah. Um, and I work on that for a couple of hours and then usually about an hour and a half to two. And then uh, I have to move my body and I usually will go out for a run or I'll throw some heavy things around in my garage. Um, and then I kind of tie up any of my loose writing ends for the day by about like one o'clock. And then that's kind of as long as I can really stay focused and, um, ignore email and social and, you know, just the other things I kind of have to semi attend to in my daily life. But I have found for me that kind of really immersive first hour of the day and then two and a half ish hours the rest of the day, I can really feel good about where I've left my work. And I I think I've internalized that old thought of, you know, stop when you feel like you could keep going um, and instead leave that kind of really heavy droplet of, you know, excitement and inspiration for the next day to kind of pick up. Yeah. I love that so much. And I love being reminded of it. And, and for me, it really hit home when I was trying to trying and failing to learn the guitar, but the teacher I was taking said like, you need to stop when you are enjoying the playing of the guitar for the day, because if you get to the point where you're frustrated, you're ending the day on a rough note and that's what's in your brain. But if you end when you're like, Ooh, it's going good. I know what's going to happen next. Let's, let's, let's knock it off. Also, you have reminded me that I really we're, we're, we're twins in our process in many ways. Um, but I really love writing on first, first opening the eyes. And recently I've developed this incredible morning routine, which includes like meditation and moving my body and, um, journaling and doing this, a couple of other things. And I, I realize that's what I've been missing is, and I don't get to the page until eight or nine in the morning. And I love the 5.00 AM meeting or the or the, or the worse earlier, you know, I might just throw some back in for fun, just to get there for a little while and then go do the whole morning routine. That I love that. Awesome. And especially if you're meditating or moving after you've already like greeted your creative yes. self, I feel like this really beautiful kind of energy and inspiration or whatever you want to call it kind of suffuses all those other things. So you're like prepping to get into your routine, but you're actually already in it, it's almost like we try. I don't know. I feel like I trick myself into being yes. ready to write because I wasn't awake enough to know I was yes. already doing it. Exactly. And I've always kind of cheekily called that breaking the seal. And I've encouraged students to just like touch their work for five or 10 minutes as soon as they wake up because then you will go back to it all day. But it's the, the you know, the more hours we put it off during the day, the heavier it gets to pick up. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. It does get that's heavier a- and heavier when we don't, I don't know- do what we want to do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, how gorgeous. I love this. What's your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Um, I think for me, it is finding that motivation and that consistency to keep writing when the writing gets hard. I'm still, I have my second book in the world now. And so I don't, I don't have a publisher um, who's, you know, or an editor or even an agent at this moment who's like, 
banging down my door with deadlines. I love a deadline. And so for me, it's just realizing that I have to care or no one else will care. I have to do the work or the work is just never going to find its its way. So it's when it gets hard and all of a sudden I'm like, I can rearrange this or I could sign up for a crazy new race, you know, that'll take me away from my desk all day. That is definitely the hardest part for me. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I, I'm just sitting here in, in, in full empathy of that. Absolutely. Um, what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh, and I'm so glad I have this joy because I'll chase it forever. It's, you know, that moment, I'm, I'm not much of a, a plotter. I'm maybe more of a pantser and I'm obsessed with character. And so that moment when it usually happens in like draft two or three, maybe if I'm lucky, it's two where I think my protagonist is going to zig and instead she zags. So that moment when they become like so real to me on the page, that's worth those hours of like just sitting and banging away into a corner because I know if I keep facing that corner, um, I'm going to get to that moment. And like I said, I will chase that, that frizzin of like delight and wonder. Yes. When that happens, it's to me, it's just like the most magical thing when all of a sudden I know somebody so well um, that they do something that I, I either wouldn't have planned for them or in best case scenario, I think things that I'd like, no, 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 don't do. It's a bad decision. <laughs> because like bad decisions usually lead to conflict and secrets and tension. And I always like that makes for good, good reading. Oh, and when they do, and I don't know about you, but I can often convince myself that, well, it's just not going to happen again. It's not going to happen in this book. It's not. And then it does. And it's such a good, it's also so such an out of control feeling, which I don't like as a control freak. I, um, but I know it's going to, like you said, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. Oh, delicious. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Yes. And this is one of my favorite parts of your podcast because I've tried on several different suggestions and I have watched them all. I also, there's, you know, the door feels blocked, you, you know, break open a window. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and it's, and all these tips help us to do that. Um, I'm obsessed with character and almost always I dig into character by, I write lists. I have these little very basic notebooks for any of my characters and whether it's a prose list or it's literally like a one, two, three, four bullet list of, I think of things like what was in my protagonist's middle school locker, like in seventh grade. It will probably never make it into the book, but that's, you know, that's our first time in adolescence where we have some agency. Like we have a place yeah. we could stash things that our parents can't find. Ooh, I love that. Can't find. And, and so, it, you know, and we have the things that we're okay with being front and center that when somebody opens it, they'll see it. And then we have those things that are tucked back where we don't want people to see it. So I will, I'll make a list of that. Um, like for my, my character, Marley, you know, it was important to me. I realized that she had an extra change of clothes in her locker. She had to keep her soccer things. Her things were the most important to her. That's where she kept in case she didn't feel safe to go home. Um, you know, whereas the people right next, and she still had to keep up her middle school veneer of some posters and some pictures in here. But that was kind of a curated outside. And what I'm more interested in is the stuff that's hidden behind the biology textbook and, and whatever else are, um, and I will list things like what, what's in your refrigerator when you're, what's in your character's refrigerator that they wouldn't want a stranger inviting themselves in and, and seeing what can we learn from that? Um, 
I'll, I use that as a writing exercise in a lot of classes as well. Or we talk about, you know, list the thing that's hidden in somebody's underwear drawer. Um, and I think the details, we call them details like they're superfluous and unnecessary, but I feel like these details that the things we and our characters surround ourselves with in the world and the things that we show on purpose and the things that we reveal by accident are so characterizing. So I'm just a big fan of, of listing and, and listing from the senses, things you can touch, taste, smell, hear, mm-hmm. um, because, and I think those are the proofs that also help our readers and their experiences become first and foremost real to the writer. Because I think we've all read pieces where you could tell that the writer didn't maybe know her character as well as we would have liked, or that's when they start doing things that are out of character in a very you know unbelievable way. And I feel like the knowledge then the writer gains from becoming so intimately aware of all, you know, even the, the secondary characters, some of the tertiary ones, whether those details ever make it onto the page or not, doesn't matter. But that intimacy and that knowledge, I think really suffuses the work. I think that is brilliant on so many levels. And um, what I love about it is that we can always write a list. Sometimes when I can't write anything else, I literally just did this for an essay I'm working on this morning. I was like, I can't, I don't know how to get into this. I don't know what I want to say. And I just started bulleting ideas. We can always write a list because it's so low stakes, but you're not only writing what is there, but what is behind what is there, what is being hidden. And that's where it just starts to get so good. And so, and that's where you will surprise yourself. I think as a writer by pulling out what, what could be there. Hmm. Thank you. I must, we must end the podcast now so I can go do this for my next character. (laughs) It's fantastic. (laughs) What thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? So I I was thinking about this and I I have two daughters and two stepdaughters and our life is in this incredibly busy place. My, um, the two daughters who live at home now who are younger are competitive athletes. And so we are everywhere for soccer tournaments and things like that. And I used to coach soccer. And so we're on all these sidelines and it's not natural for me to be around people a lot. And for the longest time, I felt like I'll never be able to write seriously. You know, if I have to give all of this energy to be an outward facing parent and human being, it turns out, um, you know, you're learning all the time, right? I I'm interacting literally by listening to people on the sideline of a sport Mm. I am studying how they, like when they're unhappy, what's their body, what's their posture like? How do they stand? Or when they're talking to their kid and they want them to do something different than what they're doing right now, what's that tone of voice like? Or what's the, how do they shorten their sentences? Or when they see somebody else, you know, maybe reprimanding them for, you know, talking to their kid that way, what do they do? And also it's like you run into, if you're staying at a Hampton Inn in, you know, Roanoke, Virginia, you're running into parents and kids and, and we're all thrown into this funny place because we have this one small thing in common. And those weekends and nights spent with all of these folks and of all different ages, all different backgrounds. Um, for me, it's like amazing fictional training of studying language and affect. And again, those, those details, um, how do we try to fit in with each other? How do we work to stand out. Um, and so I think it's that busyness and, and 
like driving carpools and things because they forget that you're up there and you become invisible and you hear how 16 year olds speak to each other. And you know, the way, that, and it's different obviously than how they would speak to an adult. And so I feel like the frenetic pace of the last several years of my life has actually been, and will prove, I think, to be some pretty incredible writing, training and fodder, you know, to kind of compost um, into something hopefully special over the next, you know, when life quiets down, if that ever really gets <laughs> If that does, that's, that's fabulous. And I think that um, one thing probably a lot of writers share is that our, our, dislike of the, of the wasted time. Like, Oh, I wish I didn't have to be in this line at the pharmacy. I could be doing something else. And, but one thing I have noticed over the years is that there is no wasted time unless I'm like lying on the floor of my office and looking at TikTok, which I would argue might be useful in some way, but otherwise if we're out there and we're noticing these things, there is no wasted time ever. This is all, all fodder, all grist for the mill later. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember where I was. But I remembered seeing, oh, I mean, you know, I, I do remember it was when I used to work at 911 and I would hear grief oh, and I would, and, and, and I would think like, this is, this grief sounds the same in all these different places. And it looks the same, um, even though it's always incredibly unique, but all of that goes into our brains and we get to hold on to it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, what is the best book that you read recently and why did you love it? Um, you know, it's so funny. I feel like everything I read, I love for one reason or another, because I can, I don't know, I feel like books are our greatest teachers. Yes. Um, and so I just opened a new book called The Mountains, it's new to me, The Mountains Sing, and it's spectacular. The book that I read, I'm like 12 pages in, so I feel like I can't give quite that, like a full <laughs> gushing report on it yet, but it is spectacular so far. Um, I just finished The Woman Who Lost Her Soul, by Ooh. Bob Chicakis. Um, and I read all, like I'll read some brand new releases. This one I think was from 2014 and it was it was in the running for the Pulitzer. Um, and I really had to work with this book, but I loved having to work and having to realize I was moving from point of view and time and place Ooh. and region of the world and American military conflict. Um, and, and it was so artfully done, this disorienting um, feeling that I had with every, every time I'd end a chapter, I'd have to go back and say, okay, whose voice am I in? But it was, it's, it's how I feel often about when I look at our, our history in the United States yes. sometimes. I'm like, we try to look at how did we get here? Yeah. Um, and I forget that these histories go back decades and decades and hundreds of years beyond, you know, my life experience. And so that one has been, it was one of those, I had to close it and sit with it. And I had another book, you know, kind of on my TBR pile ready to go. And I couldn't, like, I just was like, I'm going to be too haunted by these characters for too long. And I just have to let them kind of find their space in my heart and in my mind. And then I can move on to something. Wow. Yeah, really pretty show stopping. And my husband noticed that I, it's not really consciously, but I haven't been reading a tremendous amount of male identifying authors. And I think I just I have so many other books to read, but I yeah. just is a male identified author. And it was really, really strong. And I'm really glad it was a good friend who put it in my hand. And I think those are always the greatest book recommendations. And um, yeah, it was one of those, I'll be thinking about it for a long time. And that's why I asked this question, because I would probably not have run across that either, but I'm going to go check it out and put it on my TBR pile. Um, 
the the books that make us work and that prove to be worth the work are just the most satisfying. And they're they're the few books that I will remember later. I have one of those brains where I remember everything about the book while I'm reading it. And then one week later I go, I think I read that. Did I read that? You know, so I love it when I stick. Yes. Speaking of books, will you please tell us about your most recent book? Yes. So my novel Breach pubbed this May. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. It's been just an incredible couple of months. I so it's it's the story of a woman and a and a man who take a real risk on one another, and they are desperate to change the trajectory of their lives. Um, and you know, when when one person chemically and emotionally connects with another person, and sometimes we confuse uh, our trauma can feel a lot like love, and sometimes there can be love in the midst of, of trauma, but we think we can find healing in somebody else um, and, and a lot of things can then tumble out of that, uh, that desire. Um, and I, I live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is an enormous military town. Um, and so I've certainly been impacted by the military community here, whether I, I kind of consciously realized it or not. Um, and so the, the husband of my protagonist is an explosive ordnance disposal technician. Um, which is, uh, there are members of the special forces. They deploy with every different branch of the military in the United mm. States. And uh, they're coming home in really bad shape. Um, more of them are coming home than ever before because of the technology that the military has, but uh, they're not, and they may look, they may have all their fingers, most of their fingers. Um, and they may look like the same person we sent, you know, to, to war and to deployment, but they don't come home the same person and Marley was a woman who was just trying to get her life on track. She's a local girl from Norfolk, Virginia. And Jace is this very attractive man from the middle of the United States. And their relationship is as combustible uh, and incendiary as his profession. Um, And it's been wonderful to see this story resonate, although also completely heartbreaking to see it resonate with members of the special forces community here and their spouses. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's one part domestic, I think kind of domestic thriller. It's certainly women's fiction. Um, but it's exciting that I feel like it crosses over kind of that gender divide, um, in, in reading. And so I've had, you know, more men than ever before. My my first book was a little definitely straight women's, you know, very, just a straight line women's fiction. Um, really connect with this story too. And so it's just been a, a wild and wonderful ride with Marley and, and her boys. You speak about it so beautifully and clearly too. You just make me want to have it in my hands. Also, that's so interesting about that being its own branch of the military and deploying into the other branches. I had no idea that, and it makes so much sense, but how fascinating. Thank you. Where yeah, can we find are. the book and oh, where can we find you? I- Yes. So I am anything at kellysokol.com. I'm on Facebook pretty actively. It's at kellysokol, kelly.sokol, I think it's my author page. And I'm on Instagram a lot and that's at sokol.kelly. Breach, you can find, you know, Amazon. Uh, You can love it if you wanted to order it through your independent local bookstore. Uh, They're always happy to, you know, it might take one day, but they can, they can find it if they don't have it on the shelves, but Barnes & Noble, you know, all the usual suspects you can find breach at this point. 
Thank you so much for being on the show. This was an absolute delight to talk to you. It's always nice to find another kindred spirit in terms of process and all of this. Thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you so much. If I'm a kindred spirit too, I can only hope to be as prolific and as incredible (laughs) as you are. I mean, how many genres, how many pen names? Absolutely incredible. So thanks. It's like I get to fangirl. Oh my gosh, stop. Now I'm going to put the kibosh on. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.